The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Live from Natty's Long Shoes Comical Castle, it's Doctor Who, Pachak, on a Wednesday. Well, here we are, Hedgewitz World, the biggest and best amusement park there will ever be. And we've got a golden ticket, eh? Eh? Fun! Fun? The stupid box can't even get us to the right place. This is like a moon base or something. Well, it's not the moon. Actually, I think it does look like the moon, only dirtier. Hey, guys, it's not the moon, okay? It's the Spacey Zuma ride, or it was. Excuse me, I don't suppose you happen to be my lift-off planet, Dave's discount interstellar removals? Right not. You know, they are meant to be here six months ago. Well, that's Dave for you, see? Unreliable. Stay where you are! Whoops! Throw down your weapons and identify yourself! No! No weapons! Golden ticket! Species humour! Free ice cream! Who are you? This planet is closed by Imperial Order. How's it? Huh. Welcome, Proconsul. Wish they'd told us you were coming. Any news of the Emperor? Oh, the Emperor? No, no, none that you'd... Uh... We pray for his return. If there is anything you need, my platoon is at your service. Right, right here. Well, you carry on, Captain. Platoon, let's move out! On the double! Two, three, four! Two, three, four! Two, three, four! Have they gone? Yes. Uniforms, give me the heebie-jeebies. Come on. They can't stop me being here, but they don't like it. Ha-ha! <laughs> you see? I told you it was amazing. Well, it used to be. It closed down. Wish I'd known that before I landed here. The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who Parchock, episode 295. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me across the Great Pond is none other than Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, Dave. Hi, Lewis. Happy to be here. And yes, it's a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday. You know, we we, we got to stop meeting like this every Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, um, Ian's not here. He's um, He's gone and walk about and changed his name to Cheerios. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad he's walking after that, that knee operation. It's good to hear that he's um, he's walking about. <laughs> <laughs> Incognito. Yeah. Well, he's, he will be missed. Um, we had a lot of fun last week with him on, on the show, you know, but, you know, he's um, he's he's doing other stuff. He's um, he's he's he, he's actually in show business. You know, he's directing. He's um, you know, he's he's doing plays. Right. He's doing some 
local theatre work. He's, he's helping out, yes. I mean, his, his first choice of a name was Porridge, but apparently that was Tate. I said Quaker Oats, <laughs> but he's a more colourful character with his six Doctor coat, so he decided on Cheerios. It works for me. That was my favourite cereal. <laughs> <laughs> I never went with, I never liked the sugary stuff, you know. I went with Cheerios. <laughs> it's freezing here. I hope the weather is a little bit more welcoming for you, though I hear south of England there's lots of flooding going on there, which really, you know, hits a nerve for me because that's something um, I can relate to, unfortunately. But it's I'm hoping that it's it passes and people recover quickly from that. Well, you know what it's like, Lewis. What you did last year, the Britain does today. Yes, they're copying you. They want to have flooded basements. <laughs> they want to have uh, all the excitement, all the fun of the fair, of boating to and from work and the shops <laughs> and sandbagging the rooms. Yeah, they're loving it. It's very, very sad indeed. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw some photos today, so, uh, you know, some news um, from that area, and it, it was just really frightening you know and you know people just don't realize the damage that water does and it's you know you think you can just oh well you know just dry things off and you're all good and but it's really not the case uh, well of course the most thing is that people have been so afraid of uh, global warming they hadn't realized that global warming actually includes <laughs> you know deep snow uh, oh yeah absolutely winds, high tides well, <laughs> they thought it was all going to be sunny and growing grapes yeah in yeah see people don't realize well some people and i, I shouldn't generalize but there, there are those that don't realize with global warming that means the polar caps are melting that means that water has to go somewhere all that moisture is going somewhere and it's resulting in these devastating storms and it's changing the weather patterns and yeah so yeah, ice storms and and winter blasts and um, all that could be a result of global warming as well, even though it sounds contradictory. Well, well, all this cold air that's coming down over... Oh, it's the weather report now. It's the weather report, but <laughs> never mind. Um, uh, the, the cold weather that's coming down from the Arctic uh, into America, which is uh, uh, causing, you know, and anybody but all the people that nobody likes in Florida because they're enjoying nice weather. Sorry, Ian. Uh, 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 the rest of it is freezing. Uh, the thing is that that's moved the jet stream down, so it means it's doing its wobbles in different places. So instead of us getting warm air coming up uh, from uh, north of Spain, uh, we're getting cold air coming down from Iceland and Newfoundland and, and uh, it's another it's reason dumping lots of waters on it. I was hoping yeah. Ian would be on the show because I was hoping that he can warm things up with that Florida air. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. You know, it's it's funny seeing some of the weather maps of the U.S., the continental U.S., and you see all the like the negative numbers throughout the whole country, and then you go to Florida, and it's like sunny, warm, and you know, in in the eighties Fahrenheit there, and it's just you get very envious over Florida there. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, so, uh, one of these uh, one of these decades, I'm going to have to uh, make my way back there. It's, I was there, oh, wow, back in 1987, and I went there in January. Escaped the cold weather here. I remember leaving here; it was it was like snowing. There was flurries, and going there to 80 degree uh, weather, which um, I, I don't know what that translates to Celsius, but um, it's 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 very nice. Was that was that when you were doing it with uh, Rizzo Ratso, or whatever his name was? I'm walking here. I'm walking. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we took him to the warm air in Florida from midnight cowboy. So. <laughs> yeah, we're going everywhere today. Well, you know, we we like to wander around. 
Yeah, we haven't got our rudder here. Ian's such a, a rudder. I mean, he, he never... <laughs> no, let's, let's, let's get, stay on Dalek. No, I'm sorry, stay on <laughs> Cyberman. Stay on Cyberman. That's uh, which um, you know, which we're gonna do. We gonna, that clip that you heard be at the front of the show gives you a clue that we'll be reviewing the night. It's just not a. It's not the. It's just Nightmare in Silver, which is um today's uh, review episode, which um sadly is um I you know I just realized at the beginning of the show you know we. Dave and I were talking right before we started recording, is that this is actually our last Matt Smith review episodes because um, reviewed everything else of his already. So unless Matt Smith, um, you know, surprises us and, you know, comes back and contrary to rumors and whatnot, um, we don't know if that's the case. You know, this is the last time we'll be reviewing a Matt Smith story. Yeah, the, the, the following story after this is Day of the Doctor, and that you will find on Podshock uh, 286. Yes, because we jumped ahead with that one because it was implied in Day of the Doctor, you know, it was going to be to, to be continued, and um, the next story was going to be the Day of the Doctor, and we thought it was going to pick up at the end of this, so we thought it would be appropriate to review that. And um, in hindsight, it turns out that Day of the Doctor was sort of like didn't pick up it wasn't immediately following this anyway but it, it worked out just as well um indeed so uh we'll head over to the news section which means <laughs> all right there's no one here to make a comment about us still using a t- old-fashioned typewriter but you know it's um i think it's very old-fashioned appro- these yes. newfangled things <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, I think it's very appropriate. The doctor would have like a, a you know, because he, he always mishmashes old technology and new technology together, and and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a one of those old-fashioned typewriters on the TARDIS, you know, and connected to an LCD screen, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're starting the news with some sad news once again. Um, it seems like. Th- 2014 is filled with I mean it's only we're only it's the middle of February it's um, as we record this it's well it's February 12th for me the 13th for Dave but it's middle of February we're what six weeks into the new year or something like that and there just seems to be a rash of of passings of people that have passed away already it just seems like um, at least you know weekly you know every week that goes by there's like two or three deaths you know not all of them Doctor Who related like um, well, we're going to talk about Christopher Barry, who's a Doctor Who, a, um, a significant, iconic Doctor Who director that, that has now passed. But uh, this week alone, we saw his death, Shirley Temple, and today, um, Sid Caesar, um, the, the latter two have nothing to do with Doctor Who, but they, they've all passed away. Um, it just seems like, you know, everyone from the professor from Gilligan's Island to, uh, we were talked in the last episode, Lumic. Um, the actor that, that, that played speaking of Simon he played the yeah uh, that, uh, Lloyd Pack yes Gareth Lloyd Pack I think it is yeah, yeah. so I was getting backwards it just seems like there, there, there's just so many passing so uh, now Christopher Barry is um, influential because um, you know he this, uh, he's the longest serving director from the original run of Doctor Who going back to um you know the um, the the introduction of the Daleks. So there's um, a long list of credits that uh, attached to him. He's um, 
you know, like he did the uh, he he did um, the Daleks, which was goes back to 1963 episodes one, two, four, and five. Uh, he directed those, but his list of credits also include the Rescue, the Romans, the Savages, and then the Power of the Daleks, which was the introduction of um, the Second Doctor. So, um, you know. The, the, I mean, almost there from the beginning, from the first Doctor to the second Doctor right there. Uh, then we jump ahead to the third Doctor, the, the demons or daemons, the mutants. And then now we're at Robot, which introduces the fourth Doctor. And then he did uh, the brain of Morbius and creature, the creature from the pit as well. Yeah, creature uh, uh, from the pit. Isn't that the one that... Was that where K-9 came in? I I'm not too sure about that. Um, hopeless with these uh, memory yeah, things. No, um, I I think um, um, oh, I can't remember the title. No, it was the same. It was the same actor. It, it, it wasn't. wasn't um, it, it was a different story. I can't think of. It. I'm having a mental block myself right now. The, the one that introduced K nine. Uh, right. So ignore that. Uh, answers on a postcard. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, some of my favourite ones there. I mean, uh, but I, I think most of our listeners. Uh, May, may well obviously uh, have started watching Doctor Who with Robot that's the one that always seemed to be the one that they went back to certainly in the States well yes in uh, the because, States because uh, they didn't go to yeah because they didn't go to the black and white ones did they they would, no, they would no. basically start Un with the four yeah and unfortunately for the longest time in, um, Doctor Who in the United States meant Tom Baker from like Robot to um uh, and uh, up until like his last, uh, he, like the, like the first five years of Tom Baker is basically what they did, and then they, they, they didn't even, they didn't even show his last two seasons, and then uh, then they went back to Robot, and then eventually that you know they caught on, and and they they finally started showing more of his stuff, and then they did Peter Davison, and then eventually we got to the to the black and white stuff. All right. So, yeah, so that's, you know, he was, what, 88, I believe. That's right. Very uh, likable. And uh, uh, there are some interviews I think that you can catch him on. And I think he's been on quite a few uh, DVD extras. But, uh, and of course, he's one of the few directors that's, as you, you know, his work with the, the different doctors. Um, he also directed the director of video Doctor Who spin off Downtime. Um, uh, but in, in the UK, he's, he's also done Zed Cars, Polar, or Needing Line. Uh, the Tripods, mm -hmm. must mention the Tripods. Yeah, I was just uh, um, Yeah, and uh, 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 all, cre all Creatures Great and were, Small, which uh, Peter Davison was yeah. in. Yeah, uh, Juliet Bravo, and then Out of the Unknown, that was another science fiction. So, um, uh, a really great period and uh, I mean even going back to the, the, his very first directorial thing where he, he had the job of bringing the Daleks to us and he didn't even have a finished Dalek to to, to present and that was where we got the, the very famous and iconic entrance of them so um, yeah uh, an absolutely uh, pivotal and uh, important member of the, uh, the uh, Doctor Who fraternity really Sadly missed, yeah. Wasn't he also represented in the most recent um, docudrama, Adventures in Space and Time? Well, well indeed, that, that was the one that he, he had to come in and uh, do that set directing. I can't remember whether they amalgamated things, but uh, 
Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, he is very, very important to the early Doctor Who. Again, another iconic person from Doctor Who. Um, you know, yeah, as 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 Dave had mentioned, he's also done other things as well. But uh, you know, but especially for Doctor Who, um, we mourn his passing and. Um, and hopefully in the weeks to come, we won't have more news. You know, this, you know, I mean, the show is over 50 years old now, so this is going to happen from going forward. But, you know, it's something that we got to deal with. Indeed. All right. Well, um, there hasn't been much other news other than that. There's, um, you well, know, thank goodness the way it's going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, they're still shooting new episodes. Um, there's lots of rumors. Um, there, there, there was something recently, you know, uh, and, and it doesn't even fall into the news. You know, people, you know, since when there's no news, sometimes, um, you know, uh, people stretch for articles. So they, they, they read into things. And I think um, somewhere um, Stephen Moffat made a mention saying that he would leave Doctor Who before Sherlock or something like that. But meaning that that there will be another one that can, in other words, that he does Sherlock with, um, obviously with Mark Gaddis and, you know, and I think they have lots of more to tell with that. They do three episodes, which are sort of like movie length and, you know, per series. And it's going to be another couple of years before there's another one. And, you know, in that time he's going to, he's doing Doctor Who. And I think Doctor Who is very all consuming for him. And, uh, you know, and I think eventually, There'll be, you know, I, I, he hasn't made any mention of it, but I'm sure there'll come a time where he's going to pass the Doctor Who baton to someone else, and Doctor Who will continue, you know, with him, and he probably still can do, still can do Sherlock, maybe with doing other things. So it, it doesn't mean that you know he's getting tired of Doctor Who or anything. People kind of read things into this, and um, you know, it, it's just the fact of the matter is that Doctor Who's always you know, continued on with different producers and um, and I'm sure it will, con- you know, enjoy success further on after, you know, he decides to move on and um, and he may decide to continue with Sherlock, but it doesn't mean um, people shouldn't read into that, oh, well, you know, he's fed up with Doctor Who and he just wants to do Sherlock. I don't think that's the case. Uh, can I just jump in there and, and let people put their pens back down? Um, uh, it was the Invisible Enemy. The yes, Invisible uh, Enemy episode. That, Thank uh, you. I always get Creature in the Pit and Invisible Enemy mixed up because they both remind me of Forbidden Planet. That's why I get, I get you know, we have that energy creatures. My apologies. Yeah, 1977, uh, K9 mm-hmm. was in that. Yeah, which came out before Star Wars, which I, I, some people. Sometimes we'll say K9 was Doctor Who's answer to R2D2, but actually, um, I mean, both came out in 1977, but it, but um, Visible Enemy, I think, uh, was, um, you know, this came out actually before the debut of Star Wars. Right. Though, that said, there's um, a lot of uh, English production uh, that was part of the team of Star Wars, so, you know, maybe um, there could have been some influence, but I think it's just more of a coincidence, you know. We'll be um, right back with more Talk to You Pachak and our review of Nightmare in Silver. This is Annika Wills, and you are listening to Doctor Who Pachak. Well, in this episode, we are reviewing 
the most recent Cybermen story in Doctor Who, not counting the Christmas special, Time of the Doctor. This is the most recent story of the Cybermen in Doctor Who. So for our audiobook selection for this week for Audible, we're going back to the very first Cybermen story in Doctor Who. Yes, with the first Doctor, which it happens to be his last story as the as the first Doctor. Yes, this is a, his uh, last, uh, you know, the story where he... Um, he regenerates at the end. Well, spoiler alert, but I guess you already knew that, especially if you're a Doctor Who fan. Well, we're the, the very first story of Doctor Who, it's um, it, it goes back to um, it goes back to 1966, but it takes place in the far future of 1986. Yes, 1986 in the South Pole at the South Cap Sea Base, um, uh, South Cap Base rather, which um, is a rather cold place. So I thought it was also fitting in the middle of February here and most at least um, th- those that are that live statesides um, well you, you know how this uh, winter has been bearing on us well for most of the people in in the um, you know in in this region here at least so yeah this is um the 10th planet this is a audiobook but it's actually the television uh, episodes put together in a audio format, BBC Audio put this put put this together. So it has all the original dialogue and effects and sounds from the television series. This is one of the um, the missing stories, though. You know they they've pieced this together and, and made it available. But uh, this is the tenth planet. It's uh, William Hartnell as the ten, as the as not as the tenth Doctor as the <laughs> as the first Doctor, and it's the first encounter of the Cybermen. And again, this um, takes place in. In uh, well, twenty years, and it was in their future when they made it. it obviously, that's no, no longer the case in um, nineteen eighty six. So, let's um. Well, before I play a little clip of it, let me remind you: <laughs> the whole point of this is to remind you that Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over one hundred fifty thousand titles to choose from, and that covers all different genres, not just science fiction, but definitely including science fiction. They have about a 160 some odd titles of Doctor Who alone, so you can pick whatever you like. Uh, they they have comedy, they have business, they have romance. It's all there. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, over 500 devices for your listening anytime and anywhere. And for you, listeners of Doctor Who Pachak, yes, you, I'm speaking to you. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a th- free 30-day trial so you can check out their service. And if you wind up that you decide that you don't want the, the, the continue the service, that's okay. Just cancel and keep your free audiobook. Now to download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. And if you're driving or you're doing something that you can't write that down or can't go to the URL right now, no worries. Go to podshock.net. You'll find links to it there. So uh, without further ado, this is a little, um, well, maybe not so little, but a little piece of the 10th Planet, the first, it's a historical episode on many accounts. Like I said, it's William Hartnell's last outing, his last outing um, as the first Doctor. It's the first appearance of the Cybermen. And it, um, oh, it's narrated by Annika Wills, who um, played Polly, his companion at the time. So anyway, here's a little taste of the 10th Planet. Oh, like toast, my dear. Now, did you find everything you want? Yes, thanks. All right, well, let's go outside and investigate. Go along. Doctor, 
by some kind of periscope. Some kind of a submarine or something down there? Down below, the sergeant gazes through the periscope in disbelief. Hey, Tito, would you come over here? Oh, what is it? Come over here, quick! I can see people! Sure, sure. Lots of people. And there's a woman! A woman. A woman? Hey! Suddenly alert, Tito and several other guards jostle hey. around the sergeant, hey. all wanting to take a look for themselves. Mamma mia, bellissima! Looks, looks like some kind of a hut. Quick, take those small arms. Get upstairs and get, bring them down. Get moving. Three guards grab their weapons and scramble up a metal staircase to the surface hatch. Moments later, they have the doctor, Ben and Polly, surrounded. One of the guards gestures emphatically with his rifle. Reluctantly, Ben and Polly follow the doctor into the base, moving with caution down the spiral stairway. At the bottom, the sergeant is waiting impatiently. Move it, come on, hurry up, come on, let's go, let's go, come on, Pop, will you move it, will you move it, Pop, let's go, come on. Please, doctor. Just a moment, Pop, now who are you and where are you doing here? Oh, we just landed outside. Why then? Well, it's a sort of spaceship, actually. <laughs> Some spaceship, You can knock off the joke. She's not joking. Look, buddy, I want the truth and quick. Can you tell us precisely where we are, please? You're at the South Pole Base of International Space Command, and frankly, Pop... <laughs> Doctor. Doctor, your story's going to have to be awful good. So you mean we are on Earth? Well, you heard the South Pole. Oh, boy, Tito, get the CO. He's not going to like it. Get him! Uh, why don't you speak up? I'm Jeff. CO. A commanding officer, the boss. Uh, hello, <laughs> Sir? Uh, Private Tito, duty guard here. Could you give a message to the general, please? General? General Cutler, the CO. Sir? I know, but this is an emergency. What's that? The general's not there. Well, can you tell me where he is, then? Right here, Private. What is this, Sergeant? Uh, well, sir... Who are these people? Well, sir, they just appeared outside. What? Yes, sir. As I said, they just appeared from a hut. Ah, uh, hot? Yes, sir. Never been there before. That's all right, General. That's just the way it happened. Well, who are you? Able Seaman Ben Jackson, sir. Royal Navy. Then why aren't you with your ship? Oh, it's a bit difficult to explain, sir. Yeah, I'll bet my sweet life with you. We don't intend you any harm, General. I can assure you of that. You can assure me of what you like, but whether I'll believe you or not is another question. <laughs> Well, I haven't got time to deal with these now. But when I do, you'd better have a good explanation. I don't like your tone, sir. And hmm. I don't like your face, nor your hair. Hmm. Sergeant, bring him into tracking and put him under guard in the observation room. I'll deal with them as soon as I have time. Yes, sir. Cutler returns to the tracking room, followed by the sergeant, Tito, and his prisoners. The doctor, Ben and Polly, are shepherded through into the adjoining observation area. The technicians watch their arrival in astonishment. All right, all right. Don't sit there like a lot of frustrated penguins. Get on with it. Hey, it's just like that rocket place in America. Yeah, but I wonder why there's so few people. I mean, it's not like what you see on the telly, is it? I don't know what you see on your TV, son, but this is General Cutler's outfit. Come on, you better take a seat. He don't like a lot of personnel. Cuts down to the bare minimum and works them right into the ground. We only spend a couple of months on this station anyway. We can't stand more than that. <laughs> hey, perhaps we can catch a lift back to England. Oh, I can't see the squad. They're giving us a free lift anywhere. 
Well, I don't want to depress you both, but I'm afraid we're not quite where you think we are. What do you mean? What? Here, just take a peek there. <laughs> 1986? Oh, no, and I thought we'd be able to get home. Yeah, we're still at sea. Yeah, but that'll explain the few people. Them computers must order work now. Yeah, I wonder if they got the moon yet. Sure, don't you listen to the news? You mean you have sent people to the moon? Yeah, an expedition just returned. Well, what's this flight, then? Well, this is just a normal atmosphere testing probe. Yes, I see a rocket testing site. <laughs> hey, what's that? Adira, where? Looks bad. Renava was south island New Zealand is reading a height of 1,100 miles. 1,100? But that's impossible. Dyson, check what it should be, will you? It should be 980. Oh, it can't be. Let me try it. Let me do it. Oh, you're right. 980 miles? They are out of position by more than a hundred miles. Yes, it looks like it. Snow cap is used for. Can you read me? Yes, for the snow cap. Strength ain't over. Take visual checks on Mars to establish position. Report back. We'll do, Lars. Did you get that, Dan? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Should be about 420. No. Four, three, two. Can't be. Try again. Oh, I am. Come on, shake it up. We'll be back in sunrise in a bit. Got it out, Clint. Did you read conversation? Yes. We're getting a mile six, two. We'll call back. Hey, Glenn. Yeah? Now, uh, take it easy, come but... Come on, uh, come on. What is it? It wasn't Mars I had. <laughs> well, that explains it, doesn't it? Come on, not damn drug yet. Well, listen, Glenn, there's something else out there. What do you mean? There's another planet out there. Another? Probably what it reads as if it was an orbit between Mars and Venus. Yeah, that's it. Somehow I can't put my finger on it, but it looks kind of familiar. Yeah. Came the dawn. Yeah. Well, I guess we've had any further observation for a bit. Hello, Snowcap. Hello, Snowcap. We're now in Dewan over San Francisco. Can you get the subject from where you are? Snow captures useful. You are very faint. Put up your power output, please. It is up. Reading you strength three. Come in, please. Repeat. Can you get the subject on your retina scope? Can do. Hey. Hey, Dad. That's on. Yeah? Fuel cells are showing a power loss. <laughs> Back at Snowcap, the doctor approaches the sergeant. Here we are. Sorry, I'll excuse me, my dear. Uh, take this to your general, please. Me? You crazy? Very well, then take me to the general. I think perhaps I can help him. Oh, I, I don't know. Now, look here, sergeant. This is urgent, I insist. General, sir. Yeah, what is it? The old boy would like to have a word with it. Claims it's urgent. Okay, bring him over. But make it fast. I think I know what you're going to see. How can what? you possibly... Oh, get him back over I've there. I've written down here what he will see. Now, take your hands off me, please. Not very clear. It was a planet, all right. How could it be? Planet's so just here. It must be on an oblique orbit. It's approaching quite fast. Barkley, couldn't it be? I know what you're thinking. You 
saw is out of orbit, and a new planet has appeared. Therefore, the new planet is influencing Zeus' fall. Right? That's about it. We must get them down. An emergency spice gun. Yes. Stoke out calling. Zeus Four, come in, please. Zeus Four, come in, please. Do you read me? Yes, we read you loud and clear. You are strength two only. Come in, please. Speak up. You sell the sugar powerless. Powerless? How much? Man makes it down approximately 20%. We are going to bring you down. Roger. We need coordinates correct orbit. Stand by. What the heck's going on, Glenn? I don't know. Get down there and find out. Yeah. Snow captures use for corrected coordinates are zero zero four eight two zero eight two three. Right. We're now correct out. Radio and attitude test, uh, Louis. Ready. Okay. Go. Schultz engages the thrusters for a precisely timed burst as Williams monitors the probe's course. Again. Schultz triggers a second thruster burst. Suddenly, the craft lurches to one side. Look! Through the porthole, the horizon can be seen spinning crazily. Again, that was The Tenth Planet, a historical episode in Doctor Who, the first appearance of the Cybermen, uh, the last appearance of the first Doctor, and I should say maybe the first (laughs) appearance of the second Doctor. All good stuff. Uh, the 10th Planet, it could be your free audiobook. It doesn't have to be. You could pick whatever you like. Again, to get your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash podchalk. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podchalk for your free audiobook. I should also note that this selection also contains a bonus interview with Annika Wills, uh, as who was narrating it, also plays Polly, and she recalls her memory of making the Tenth Planet. So, just an added bonus there. Uh, also, to correct, uh, just to <laughs> just to be more precise, this isn't the last appearance of the First Doctor, but it's the last full story featuring the full Doctor. He he, he does reappear for the three Doctors and um, the five Doctors, though a different actor, and so forth. So, um, so all good stuff. The Tenth Planet could be yours, or pick anything you like from Audible. AudibleTrial.com slash Pachak for your free audiobook. Total takings for the day. One sandwich. Better than no sandwich, of course. Not as good as two sandwiches. Or even a chicken. I hate the future. It's stupid. There's not even phone service. I'm out of here. The doctor said not to wander off. He said that. And then he wandered off. I don't think Clara would like that. She's not a mum. Don't leave me here. Was this really the biggest amusement park in the universe? Yeah. Hedgewick bought the planet cheap. It had been trashed in the cyber wars. Who were we fighting? Cybermen. Technologically upgraded warriors. We couldn't win. Sometimes we fought to a draw, but then they'd upgrade themselves, fix the weaknesses, and destroy us. It's hard to fight an enemy that uses your armies as spare parts. You beat them, though. Beat them where you wouldn't be here. How? Look up there. That corner of sky, what do you see? Nothing. It's just black. 
No stars, no nothing. Well, it used to be the Tiberian spiral galaxy. A million star systems, a hundred million worlds, a billion trillion people. It's not there anymore. No more Tiberian galaxy. No more Cybermen. It was effective. It's horrible. Yeah. I feel like a monster sometimes. Why? Because instead of mourning a billion trillion dead people, I just feel sorry for the poor blighter that to press the button and blow it all up. And welcome back to Dr. Dupachak. And as you can tell, we're about to review Nightmare in Silver. So before I start the review, as always... Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. 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 All right. Well, they will be spoilers after this if you have not seen Nightmare in Silver. Spoilers. And reason being is, um, well, obviously this was uh, originally broadcast on the 11th of May, 2013. But um, as I always say is that, you know, we have listeners that are watching Doc 2 on their own um, schedule. You know, sometimes they just discovered the show and they're just watching it now and they're catching up with past episodes. So you never know when you want, you know, uh, when people are listening to this show and if they haven't seen Nightmare in Silver, they may want to wait until they have, until they listen to this. So if you're one of those, you may want to uh, take this episode of Dr. Pachak and uh, preserve it in gold or um, some other precious uh, commodity that is not, um, that, that will, you know, fend off Cybermen from, from taking it. So, yes, this is, as I said before this is our last review of um, a Matt Smith episode because uh, reviewed, we reviewed all the others. So unless he does any other new ones, this is it. So uh, after, <laughs> after this, we're going to be reviewing because there's still lots of other doctors that we, you know, episodes that, that we haven't reviewed yet. So there's lots of material to cover. And then plus uh, Peter, Peter, I didn't say Paul, Peter Capaldi's um, New adventures will be starting in the in the summer, late summer of, of this year. So we have that to look forward to, and uh, you know, there's other stuff that Doctor Pachak will be covering and and talking about. Sometimes it won't be a review. Maybe we'll be just discussing certain things and aspects of Doctor Who, and um, and we would like to hear your feedback. As always, we're going to get to the feedback section later. But um, as always, your input is always welcome. And maybe uh, you have something that we want to dis- you know you want us to discuss and we'll you know we're all ears for that as well so nightman silver as i said it was um the 11th of may 2013 that it came out it was the second to last story it's written by neil gaiman and it's directed by stephen uh wolfenden if i'm if i'm pronouncing his yeah i think it was his directorial de- debut oh, wasn't okay. it uh, i didn't know i, I think with to who i think oh well very good and as as I said, it stars Matt Smith, uh, Jenna Louise Coleman, and also guest starring is uh, Warwick Davis, who you may remember as uh, well. You may remember as as many things, but he started off his career as a little furry Ewok. You know, he played um, uh, what was his name? What's that Ewok's name? <laughs> um, hold on, it's uh, Warwick. Uh, he played. Uh, oh, what was that? Um, the, I can't remember, but uh, while you're thinking that, he's also been uh, in Willow, Prince Caspian, Silver Chair, Zorro, Leprechauns, One, Two, and Three, Gulliver's Travels. Wicked, Wicked, Prince. Wicked. I'm sorry. Uh, ah, <laughs> Wicked. That's yeah. okay. 
Wicket the Ewok, or just Ewicket, who his name was. Right. I mean, in is is um, he's been in walk-on shots as well, didn't he? Um, I think he was Yoda in some walk-on shots as well. But he's been in tons. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, Professor Flintwick. Uh, tons of things. Uh, extras, he had his own series. Uh, extras, didn't he? Uh, uh, oh, no, Life's Too Short was his own series. Uh, so he's been in lots and lots of things. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's he's finally made it to Doctor Who because before this um, he hadn't been on it. Playing, well, he, he plays uh, Porridge, though we find out later on that um, he's that, that character is also... Sp- uh, goes by another title as well. Yeah, I mean, we first, we first encounter him in the uh, in this particular adventure when the, uh, the, the, the there are three uh, Cybermen. Uh, of course, the Cybermen are supposedly extinct at this point, uh, but there are three on this planet. One of which has been used as a uh, uh, dishes out death, but on the chess machine. Well, what's and of course. Um, well, what's interesting is that the, those Cybermen are Pete's World Cybermen. They have the C on their chest. That's um, you know from from uh, what is it Cybus or uh, whatever that the company name was from Pete's World. Right. The, those original, well, not original, but those when Doctor Who came back, those first Cybermen that we saw were from Pete's World, the, the alternate universe. Right. But um, they, they were using the the idea of the the old-fashioned idea of the Turk, which was a supposed to be a mechanical attraction. And actually, uh, this is a historic fact that um, that it went round different uh, places and palaces and uh, all and, and and tricked people into thinking that it was an actual uh, mechanical device, but indeed operated by somebody underneath. And that's where we find. Uh, porridge here who seems to be just uh, somebody who's got stranded on this uh, now deserted uh, planet this uh, this ex entertainment planet as it were and, yeah like um, this uh, amusement park and now i don't know if the whole planet is that but this amusement park is on this planet that has been closed down so i guess there's nothing else going on on the planet other than this big amusement park or so and these sort of group of misfits and soldiers who basically weren't deemed to be important or something had basically been left there hoping to be evacuated at some point. Indeed, that very first clip that you played right at the the, the, the beginning was the the the, the fact of this uh, character expecting that uh, he might finally be able to get away from uh, the planet. So Webley. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, Webley played by uh, Jason Watkins. I have to mention it because he had um, he had a smashing part in Being Human. He played a real nasty guy called uh, William Herrick ah. in Being Humans. Is that? Are you wondering where you recognise him? Yeah, from? yeah, yeah. I mean, he looked familiar, but now you put now I can see that. Yeah, wow. That's uh, yeah. one of the shows I was telling Dave before during the the, uh, the hiatus, and that when I was um. You know, I was trying to find stuff. I, I didn't have my all my DVDs and Blu-rays were in storage. My HDTV was in storage, and um, so I was um, streaming whatever I could find. And I so it gave me an opportunity to catch up on some of the Red Dwarf episodes and some of the. And I started watching um, B 
being human. So I, I, I'm not caught up on that yet. But I, it, I, I, before that, I hadn't seen any. So now I've seen, um, I saw the first series, and I think I'm somewhere in the in the middle of the second one. So, um, so I know the actor now. Yeah, and should, we should stress, of course, we're talking about in this particular case the the UK version of Being Human, uh, uh, which was created by uh, Toby Whithouse, who, who of course has uh, lots of uh, Doctor Who connections uh, as well. Yeah, anytime there's like an American version of a UK show, and we're talking about it, we're not talking unless we say American version. Always assume it's the the original UK version. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean Tony uh, Whithouse as. as um, it involved in Torchwood, but uh, most recently in Doctor Who, Vampires of Venice, uh, the God Complex, and a town called Mercy. But uh, as I say, the actual uh, Jason Watkins, uh, who played this, uh, uh, I mean, I don't think it's the, the, the whole story about being human. We, we've got a ghost, a vampire, and a werewolf. And um, William Herrick plays another werewolf who's uh, also in the, in the police which allows him to get a lot of influence and uh, hush up certain uh, tragic mm-hmm. things that happen during the course of the story. So that, I don't think that's too spoilerish. That's no, fairly no. well laid yeah. out fairly early on. Yeah, yeah. But, well, so he plays a very different character here, though after the Cybermen have his way with him, he's, I guess he's, he's not too nice, nice after that. But um, so I, I think the most... I was going to say the the most notable thing that we perhaps ought to mention early on with with that is that that we get this um, this change from uh, cyber mats that used to always scare mm-hmm. me to be Jesus when I was younger and by younger I mean I was only uh, Lewis's age and um, <laughs> it, it, it used to frighten me but these uh, are these little insects uh, cyber mites I think. Certainly more frightening than those awful cyber shades from the next Doctor, but yeah, cyber mites, little creatures. Yeah, so for those that aren't familiar with the history of the Cybermen, um, you know, they used to have these, like, for the lack of better description, rat-sized creatures. Armadillo-like things. Yeah, they're, they're metal, um, and, and they, they, they were, this, um, I, you know, they weren't living organisms. They were sort of like little cyber robots that would scout out and do um you know do stuff for for them you know uh, they were being controlled by the cybermen so now we see them again and now they've been scaled down to like these insect like creatures which well uh, yes and no i mean we have got that slight variation when they, when they brought the cyber mats back more recently uh, the the episode where um uh, our lodger chap gets uh, almost converted into a, a Cyberman. They, they they gave them biological teeth, didn't they? They gave them, they, they switched back to um, a mixture of um, oh, okay. robot and content. And uh, they had some uh, really funny teeth. I remember we talked about that a long time ago. But if you remember, the one where uh, behind the, st- the store where, uh, it wasn't the lodger episode, but it was the one with the store where um, we actually see... Um, Amy and Rory coming in the shop, but they're not in the story. Yeah. And there's the uh, there's the ship that's on below the uh, the the department store, and uh, they come to the follow up. They, it's the follow up episode for the larger. The larger was like the, the the first one that had um, what's his face in it. You know that that character, and then we yeah. see him again here. I, I can't remember that. It's a recent. It's not that long ago, and I, I can't remember the the title. But yes. Um, 
People, people are screaming at us right now. It's blah, 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 blah. Yeah, this is what happens when you get gray on the roof, when you get snow on the roof. Closing time, it was. Closing time, that's it, yes. Craig Owens, played by James Corden. There you go. See, I, I used to be that way, but not not anymore. <laughs> and now it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I can't function without Google. <laughs> yeah. It's my second uh, again, brain. Uh, before you take the story forward, I mean, one of the things that we mentioned about last week was, of course, that rather strange added uh, scene. Or, well, not strange, but, you know, we've had this scene each time and uh, where, where Clara leaves the TARDIS and uh, after the, the previous episode, she'd come back to the house only to be confronted by these two children that had seen pictures of her and, uh, look, there you are in Victorian London. She says, no, I was in Victorian York. And uh, catch her out there, of course, that wasn't this uh, uh, version of Clara, of course, so she's shocked to see that. And they do this crazy blackmail on her that uh, they'll tell her dad if they don't, if they, if she doesn't take them on her next adventure. And I think we were all, well, I was certainly um, not expecting a lot from this because I thought, oh, no. kids program on my, uh, kids on my program. Now, admittedly, <laughs> we've had some fa fabulous ch child actors on the show, but I, I don't know whether I thought these two kids were a little bit more annoying. I was beginning to think this episode might turn out to be another fear episode. But um, th that's the premise that um, they get taken, the doctor, obviously. And that's why we get this sort of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory mm -hmm. reference. Yeah, we've got a golden ticket, we've got a golden yeah. ticket. Uh, and I was quite... Uh, disappointed with the start of this and then uh, they do a few things and the kids do um, up, 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 we float like bed mm -hmm. knobs and broomsticks and and uh, we have the, the scene with the uh, thing and then suddenly uh, and this is, I'm bringing ourselves back to where we're up to, these Cybermate mites come on and uh, this uh, character is uh, uh, Webley's um, it's quite a frightening scene. I mean, the, the fear factor's quite high, I think. it was. I mean, I thought it was quite creepy, that. Yes, yeah. Well, he, they, the, the kids didn't really get too much in the way here, because once they started get, getting slightly converted to Cybermen, uh, they, they became zombies, so they were pretty much out of the way, you know, so... Yeah. Um, you know, they sort of took a back seat after that point in the storyline. So it's right. now the I know I, I have to confess that, um, you know, I, I know there are a lot of Neil Gaiman lovers out there and um, people are very familiar with his work. I, I, I mean, I have not I, I have nothing against him. I, I just I'm my exposure to him is really strictly from Doctor Who. So um, now he's done another story. He, he, you know, he did The Doctor's Wife and I you know, there seems to be a little similar motif going on here. You have a, a rundown planet and, you know, you don't have patchwork people, but sort of like the, the people here, you know, are sort of like patchwork because they're, they're um, this military, um, I don't know what you call a squad or um, um, troop or whatever. <laughs> misfits. <laughs> but they are. They're like misfits, you know. So. I, is this like a common thread with Neil Gaiman stories? Because it just seems kind of similar, too similar that we have two Doctor Who stories that he had written that are 
that that take this similar um, motif, you know, um, it could be a coincidence. Well, I don't know, but I don't. I'm not familiar with his no, other. No, work. no, no. It's absolutely a hallmark of his work. I mean, he he, he has that. Sli- he takes the familiar and takes it off. Uh, slightly off key uh, he's known as a dark fantasy writer and um anthony Bur- burge and jessica burke are the uh, are the ones that should be talking about them because uh, i mean they've written the uh, mythological dimensions of neil gaiman book and uh, uh they they know all about him mm-hmm. but he came first to fame with his sandman series and then he wrote a book called neverwhere and uh uh, there's a film called Stardust that has made Cor- Coraline, um, the Graveyard Book, uh, lots of uh, stuff, and uh, um, of course, um, he's a, a, an English writer uh, who lives in America. And um, th- I mean, the Doctor's uh, not the Doctor's, uh, the Doctor's wife, uh, although again, a, a universally praised episode, I think, by most people. There's some fantastic concepts in it. You know, the boxes with the uh, the the Time Lords in it and that. But yet, you had the rather bizarre people actually living. Yeah, the you know the uncle and uh, the other lady that was there. Some rather odd meat creatures. The sort of people that you meet in um, his Neverwhere books, the uh, the Underworld, and. Um, there's some great radio plays of that, by the way, and um, I mean, there's the Angel Islington of one of his characters, which is the name of a, a railway station in London, but it was, it's taken to be the name of a character. Uh, played it uh, in one alliteration of this by Benedict Cumberbatch, but um, that's all beside the point. The point is, yes, odd and offbeat with a dark, slightly sinister undertone is the hallmark, I think, of the... Of certainly of the the Neil Gaiman stuff that I've read, and I've I and I've barely touched I barely touched the surface uh, okay. of it, but um, certainly worth a check in if if you don't really like horror, but you like something a little bit just um, taking you out of your comfort zone, um, mm-hmm. check out a book called Neverwhere of his. Okay, definitely. All right. Doctor, helper. Angie, party. We needed children, but the children had stopped coming. You brought us children. Hail to you, the Doctor, saviour of the Cybermen. What would the Empire do if they were alerted? I told you, tell me to blow up the planet. After they got us off. Captain, you want to take that one? No, Mom, just blow the sucker up. Drawbridge, moat, brilliant. With respect, Mom. We ought to be hunting the creature. The only reason I'm still alive is because I do what the doctor says. Can you guarantee me you'd bring me back my children alive and unharmed? I trust the doctor. You think he knows what he's doing? I'm not sure I'd go that far. As the battle raged between humanity and the Siberiad, the cyber planners built a Valkyrie to save critically damaged units and bring them here and, one by one, repair them. The people who vanished from the amusement park They were spare parts for repairs. We've upgraded ourselves. The next model will be undefeatable. Nothing's undefeatable. We needed children to build a new cyber planner. A child's brain with its infinite potential is perfect for our needs. But we no longer need the children. The cybermites have been scanning your brain, Doctor. It's quite remarkable. Also completely useless to you. Cybermen use human parts. I'm not human. 
And, and mind you, he says he's not human. He's not half human. He's not human. <laughs> he's not human. There's no part of him that's human. Yes. yes. And I think... I think he definitely put that in there. I think Neil Gaiman is 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 stamping uh, his uh, his place firmly there on the side of uh, he ain't half human. <laughs> yes, so we we can like put that to rest finally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean we I mean we we we've managed, mentioned Warwick Davis, we've mentioned Jason Watkins, we've mentioned. Uh, uh, different people and um, uh, there's uh, a female captain that's in charge of this um, bunch of misfits here um, and uh, that's played by uh, Tasmin Althwaite I think she's just called the captain I don't think we get her name mm. but um, if you if you think she was familiar uh, she because uh, she was in um, a, a, a well I shouldn't say of course in a, a UK uh, it didn't. It wasn't that successful, but uh, Ian and I enjoyed it. Called uh, Paradox. She was in the science fiction series called Paradox, which was connected with the sun and uh, detective work. And um, she's also been in. Um, uh, well, actually, now she's uh, she's uh, replacing somebody in a in a, a long running program in the UK called New Tricks. She's replacing Amanda Redmond as the the leader of the New Tricks department. But uh, I I thought she. It, it wasn't a major part, but it was good. Um, and um, I thought Clara had a, a lot to do in this uh, episode. Um, yes, yeah, she's. It was uh, just some she funny... takes charge. She's she, you know, she really does um, lead the pack. Well, I think that was one of the reasons why they wanted these children along uh, along because um, uh, this this is the the one thing that will get Clara you know she's I, I don't think she's a violent person at all she's a very friendly she's very outgoing she's very affable and people and the doctors taken to her um, but she's always had and and this has been an ongoing theme with the different alliterations of her that um, you know she's been in that sort of nanny capacity mm -hmm. yes. you know uh, all, all the way back so having the two children there brings that side of her out of her and that therefore then gives her the reason to, um, I mean, that gun she had is nearly as big as uh, um, Rosie's gun in uh, in an yes. early episode. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. the point is that she can take up arms because she's like, you know, the the lioness defending the children, and so I think in that sense, the two children. And I'm not really against those two children. The younger boy, I thought, was maybe more acceptable although the the the, the girl the actress who played the girl uh, had more of a pivotal role towards the end of the mm -hmm. story because she noticed some things that the others hadn't but um uh, all this is is before uh, things have happened because one of the main things that most people who do like this episode and i'm i'm a little bit on the fence with it i liked mm -hmm. it but on the other hand i wasn't expecting a great deal so it, I, I was actually one of the people who quite liked it, but I, uh, from low expectations, I'm not saying it's any classic, but one of the things that a lot of people like it for is that um, it was yet another reason for Matt Smith to do one of his dual role things. Um, we've had, um, you know, from the Almost People and um, that episode with the, the gangers in it, we had the one where we had uh, the Doctor having to play two versions of himself and here we have this uh, almost split personality of himself where yeah. um he's playing the 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 chess game but it's basically uh, a role of dominance isn't it over the doctor's mind 
Yeah, well, it goes back and forth, and you have to be pretty astute to, you know, just, you know, watching them to make sure, you know, which which doctor you, or which, I mean, because uh, basically what happens is that the uh, the Cybermen uh, or the Cybermites uh, or, you know, take them over, and it's the, and they, they plan to make them the Cyber Planner, and so there's the Cyber Planner doctor and then the doctor, and they're, they're fighting for control of the doctor's mind, you know, and there's like um, a certain percentage that's left that's, you know, whoever wins that percentage wins the mind and um, and they decide to uh, fight it out in a game of chess. Right. And, th- and that's why in some ways the children are sidelined, not just because they're, you know, they're not wanted in the story, but um, uh, as the uh, the Webley character who, who's already been taken over then says, you know, uh, at first they wanted young, malleable minds that they could grow. I mean, the you only have to go back to oh I don't, I don't even say the Cyber King story but you know the one I mean mm-hmm. uh, the the Christmas one where 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 they take over that woman's mind and yeah, the, she the next doctor um, because of yeah because of the that's right because of the the human element so they're going to they're looking for these young mans of course because the uh, the the fun fair and the 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 wreck and the war and the ravages of the war nobody's coming there uh, and so they haven't got the spare parts to rebuild uh, another cyber uh, army i suppose but then of course they they make this discovery that the the doctor's mind uh would be infinitely more suitable, you know, the capacity, uh, and then we get this this battle that appears to be at a chess table, but really it's more to do with, uh, you know, the, this control. And, and during the course of this, uh, there's the, the Clara's off with this second uh, storyline that's happening uh, with these three misfits. But then we come to the other issue that I and some people had. Well, there are a couple of issues. Um, well, first of all, it was a very CGI episode. Mm-hmm, with now, the Cyberman. The CGI was a, yeah, the CGI was a bit hit and miss. I mean, there were some fabulous uh, bits of uh, the Cybermites and there were some great explosions and this, that and the other. Um, uh, but then there was a couple of matte shots of, uh, you know, like an army of Cybermen mm-hmm. uh, from an overhead view that looked very, very static. Of course, they are regimented and they would sort of, you know, y- you would expect, uh, you know, a hundred Cybermen walking in army to, indeed, when we've seen them in the streets of London, they, 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 they've tried very hard to keep their steps, you know, this stomping action. But then... Set aside that, you know, we have this um, this upgrades going on all the time. You know, they're very um, Borg-like. You know, Cybermen became were, were invented before the Borg. The Borg have these attributes, and now they, it's as though the Cybermen are emulating them somewhat. I thought so sort of too. Yeah. In the field upgrades, mm-hmm. yeah. That's, uh, but, I, I, but I felt the, the same thing. Yeah. But we spent three seasons getting this sort of stuff. I mean, one of the things that has been great with Doctor Who since it came back is that they've had um, um, people, I don't know what the term would be. I mean, I know people who make noise are Foley artists and there's this and that, but, uh, but for uh, the choreographing of the, the movement, in other words, when we had in Human Nature, Family and Blood, and we had the Scarecrows, you know, they had a lolloping action, and this was all choreographed, so they all looked to give them a, a particular look. Uh, when we've had different creatures, they've all they've they've choreographed them so that they have a, a specific 
movements are, even if it's with the Silurians, the way they turn their head and, you know, tilt their head to one side. Uh, and, and we spent three years getting the Cybermen refined into this sort of stomping, marching, you know, so the kids think they're going to stomp and batter down their front doors and, and they can play in the playground as stamping. And then we have this um, sudden... Um, bullet time movement. I don't know what you thought about all that, Lewis. Well, it, now these Cybermen, we're seeing another um, version of the Cybermen. I mean, these are um, they're slightly altered as far as their appearance goes. From what I read now, this what, what Neil Gaiman has done was taken this, the Cyber Cybermen, the, the Pete's World Cybermen, and um, they met up with the Mondas Cybermen, our Cybermen, and did crossbreeding and exchange of technology, and now resulted in these new Cybermen, I guess. And and that's what we're seeing here, which is, um, I mean, I, to be honest, I, I wish I wish um, Murray Gold might have used uh, come up with some new music to go with them because he does play those old uh, Cybermen musical cues from Pete's World Cybermen, and that's what I think of when I hear da na 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 you know, that, that, that um, Cybermen music, and it just reminds me too much of Pete's World Cybermen, which I, I was not a big fan of. I was disappointed with the whole stomping of the feet, and I mean, if, if they did more than that, I would like them better. I just... Even in this story... They, they didn't seem like they had any leadership. You had, okay, you had the cyber planner that was in um, the doctor's head, but, uh, and, and that was it, you know, and it just didn't, it, there was like no well, physical entity that they were, it, it just, it, it was very psycho. Well, I'm sorry, Dave. Um, it's the dis for those listening to the recording, you can probably tell from my accent I'm in the UK, and there's just this sort of half second delay between us talking. So we're not, we're trying not to step on each other's footsteps. Unfortunately, I occasionally seem to do so. So apologies from me. But uh, no, I mean when we when we talked about that um, uh, the last one uh, episode, you know, the follow up to the Lodger one. Uh, again, there were only three wounded Cybermen or something in the spaceship. Here we've only got three. We're starting from a very low base, uh, but I think Neil Gaiman was trying to make the Cybermen scary again, and I think some of that was due to the fact that we just had, the, you know, that we had, with the tenth Doctor, we'd had that story, you know, where we ended up with one story where we had the Cybermen uh, and the Dalek, and uh, you know, the the Dalek come back to the Cybermen uh, was, you know, if there were a hundred Cybermen, it would only take one Dalek to defeat them. And there were quite a lot of people who were real fans of the Cybermen who felt a little bit as though, you know, um, the, the Cybermen were being shown as little sort of tin soldiers that that, mm -hmm. that um, a Dalek would uh, could just, you know, dispose of with no issue. So I think he was trying to give more menace to them. And that was this... Um, I think the idea of them being able to upgrade was okay but then we had them we had the they had like a, an invisible shield that as soon as you hit them a glancing blow mm -hmm. the next one it upgraded uh we had um uh, going all the way back to the pandorica one uh like we had the you know if you remember that one of the um you know un the underhenge we had like a a cyberman crawling and uh without uh, no there's one walking without a head 
and uh, yeah. in in this one we 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 had this one with the head swiveling around and you almost get to feel that th these were looking more like robots than cybermen they were, yeah. they were they were they weren't sort of 8% and 20% they are 50-50 they were they were they were more robotic and then we we had uh, other things happen to them um, the way they were disabled and so on and they seem to be shown more as robots than Cybermen, and um, whether the balance was right, or some people felt as though um, this two sorts of movement to stomp one minute and then suddenly to sort of go like a flash, uh, you know, the uh, the old series of flash and move through the ranks and and scoop the young girl up and take her away. Um, they didn't see. It seemed a little bit confusing in. In where they were going with the muscle Yeah, I don't understand why the Cybermen keep on losing their heads. It seems to be a a, a recurring thing now since the Cybermen's return. If we go back to, I, I mean, I didn't understand it in the next Doctor where the heads were sort of like exploding for no, you know, at the end of that episode, at the climax, I, you know, that their heads were exploding. And in, in this story, we see lots of uh, Cybermen either headless or with their heads getting shot off and uh, you know, even then we jump ahead to um, uh, this year's, uh, well, last year's Christmas story with with handles. You know, where the doctor took a cyber head and and made it his own uh, companion, if you will. Uh, it just seems like there's, and, and many times you will see the doc there was um, uh, other stories which I'm 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 failing to remember the names uh, where where he sees like a, a head of a story, yeah, head of a cyberman. I mean, even going back to the ninth doctor where we first see. Um, was it um, was it Dalek? Was that where they were in Utah and and they first see a cyber head there? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like um, uh, Cybermen are constantly losing their heads. Well, the other thing is, I mean, we for a while we've we known that the Doctor kept the cyber head in in the in the TARDIS, and then uh, that cyber head came used, um, you know, as his uh, little friendly side ahead later. But in closing time, for instance, uh, that we, we referred to before, the, the follow-on from Lodger, uh, there we had the, um, the, the Craig Owens character. Um, there, the, the, the outer suit, as you might call it, the Cyberman, sort of tried to swallow him up. So his whole head and body was consumed. Then we had the other one where they were sort of basically taking the brains out. Then we had the cyber leader from way back. Um, so although, I mean, I mean, we've only had, to my mind, with, with Daleks, one aberration. And I, I think you've got a name for the big Daleks. I, I can't remember what you call them, but the... Uh, the Emperor you know, Dalek or the... No, 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 no. The multicolored ones that came out with the big. Oh, oh the Skittles Daleks. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's what you call it. I mean, but basically, the Daleks have worked from day one, and uh, that must go back to, um, to to the story we had at the beginning about our director. But with the Cybermen, they've, as you say, there's the ones from Pete's world, then there's the different ones. We go all the way back to the very early ones, but in this particular one, although you could say, well, it's all right that they reinvented the, the Cybermen. To me, in this episode, it seems confused what they're trying to do. Are they trying to say they're more robots than they are Cybermen? Are they saying that they've, 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 they've not protected by their outer metal material? Uh, they now have to have a, you know, um, 
a, a shield, an invisible shield around them, and they can move at this very silent, fast pace. Um, mm -hmm. we, we've got um, a new, a new sort of leader in effect here, haven't we? With this, as you as you called it, the the cyber planner, um, which I don't know. Um, that slightly to me, in fact. If I can quote what I, I, I said uh, on on that other podcast that shall be not named, um, <laughs> I said that you know when I was doing the clips for that, um, actually everything that you listen on audio makes sense. Uh, anybody who I would think, uh, and I'm repeating myself here, but the, anybody, I mean, obviously they know Neil Gaiman is a terrific and imaginative writer, but if they saw the script on paper, they would think this is a a Bonza story. There's nothing wrong with this story. It's, it's brilliant. Uh, now, whether it got messed about with, whether the CGI people said we can do this and we can't do that, I don't think this episode has been manifested in the way maybe uh, the the writer intended i have got a feeling with the uh, the um, the doctor's wife maybe um neil gaiman i think he was so delighted he was probably on set you know dotting every t and crossing every i or whatever the words are mm -hmm. uh, and being here this one to me and uh, again um as you said, this is towards the end of the series. It, it may well be that, you know, pressure of time. We do know, don't we? I mean, look, look at the uh, Peter Capaldi and the, the 12th Doctor. I mean, they started filming a while ago and we're not going to see them till end of August. Uh, so you've got that leading time. By the time you get to the 7th or 8th or the 10th or the 11th, or in this case, we're at the, what, the 13th episode of the series, you're putting the finishing touches to the episode, you know, five or six days before it's going to air. Um, and again, with the amount of CGI in this one, they must have been right down to the wire. By the way, I should say, got a, an AI index of 84, this. Um, the, the actual original viewing figures were quite low. They were only four and a half million, went up to 6.6 .6 million. But I think it aired uh, when the FA football, that's soccer to people in America, uh, I think it was the FA football weekend so people the viewing figures for the actual live broadcast was a a, a little bit down but um yeah I, I think there was a little bit of mixture uh, and um the other thing about these three gormless uh soldiers although they endeared themselves a little bit later they came through didn't they they were odd people but they they came through in the end um let me put it this way. I think, I mean, I know you can overwork a script. I don't know a lot about script writing, but I do, I do know people have talked about, you know, when the script's been overworked and too many people have had their hands on mm -hmm. it. Um, I, th I, I think this could have just done with a, another a pass over it a little bit because there are some tremendous bits in it and there are some other bits. And then again, depending on how you feel about Matt Smith's, uh, you know, interpretation of the doctor and now all that hangs on that dual aspect that he had to do uh, for the most part i think he pulled it off but I, I wouldn't say it was sensational acting i've got a feeling that um you know there were there were quite a few people maybe even stephen moffat himself who you know, was very very impressed with the way he'd done that I, I was more impressed with clara as i have been 
uh, for quite some time now. Um, I, I, I think she's also oh watchable. Uh, she's believable to me, although she's an impossible girl. Um, and, um, well, maybe we ought to have, well, your say, another clip, and then yeah, I was just move along the story. I was just going to suggest that. Here we go. Don't shoot! Don't shoot! I'm nice! Please, don't shoot! Hey, Clara, you haven't let them blow up the planet. Good job. Did you get the kids? Are they all right? What's going on? Um, a bit of a good news, bad news, good news again thing going on. So, good news, I kidnapped the cyber planet, and right now I'm sort of in control of this cyberman. Bad news? Bad news, the cyber planet's in my head. And, different bad news, the kids are, well, it's complicated. Complicated how? Complicated as in... Walking coma. Please tell me you can wake them up. Hope so. Other good news. Well, in other good news, there are a few more repaired and reactivated Cybermen on the way, and the Cyberplan is installing a patch for the gold thing. No, wait, that, that isn't good news, is it? Um, so, good news. I have a very good chance of winning my chess match. What? I'll explain later, in a bit of a hurry. Get me to a table and somebody tie me up. Need hands free for chess. And immobilise me. Quickly. Right, that's good. I won't be able to move, but hands free, good. You're playing chess with yourself. I'm winning. Actually, he has no better than a 25% chance of winning at this stage in the game. Some very dodgy moves at the beginning. Hello, flesh girl. Fantastic. I'm the cyber planner. Doctor? Afraid not. I'm working the mouth now. Allons-y. Oh, you should see the state of these neurons. He's had some cowboys in here. Ten complete rejigs. You aren't the doctor. No. But I know who you are. You're the impossible girl. Oh, he's very interested in you. Why am I impossible? Hasn't he told you the sly devil? And there we are. That's uh, Matt Smith playing dual roles there. Uh, he's in, in his split personality, which uh, we actually see like inside of his head, you know, where uh, Matt Smith is playing the doctor without the, the cyber um, some, um, parts on his face, you know, the, yeah. the cyber, um, whatever. And and then you see um, the, him with it on it and the, the playing the cyber planner, which uh, I have to say when I you know first watching this I didn't really you know it was hard to hear you know what he was saying you know it sounded like he was saying cyber planet and when he was saying cyber planner you know, so um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was hard to discern that so yeah I you know I think he I think Matt Smith did a wonderful job there though I don't know if um if the episode spent too much time with that it just it seemed like even though he was in this story for he seemed like he was preoccupied with fighting this cyber leader uh, cyber planner in his head that he was sort of taken out of the story and 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 I guess that's you know why uh, General Louise Coleman and Clara picks up the you know and leads the troop and you know is basically um the one fighting this you know the fight really you know her and along with the captain and and, and the rest of the um the, the goonies the the, the um the military well, um, yeah yeah i mean we've had that before with the, like the fourth doctor and leela where the doctor's fighting one war 
with one and she's going off with a knife mm-hmm. or a chain of stones uh, doing things there. I mean, one of the good things, I mean, there, there were some good things in this. I, I mean, I liked it more than I thought I was going to like it. But on the other hand, I had a low expectation. So I'm somewhere in the middle. But I mean, we, we, we had this thing where, you know, um, uh, when we had the, 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 the story hide, where the doctor hadn't actually gone because of the ghost, he'd gone to actually talk to that woman who who was um, uh, uh, was it could read not read minds but she, she to get information about Clara and so on. So uh, I, I, here we have that scene that I think was extended so that we could get that scene where you know the Doctor tells Clara well not the Doctor the the cyber planner with the Doctor's voice tells her that oh he's very interested in you and we, we get a little bit more of a leak out there and again. It does those serious parts so well. I mean, like in the clip where he says, um, oh, and you better tie me up. I mean, he does all these little silly, whiffly-waffly things, which I'm not keen on, and then suddenly his chin goes down, his eyes go up, and he delivers such great authority in lines that you think, wow, that's the Doctor, that's that, that's the hidden power of the man. So I, I, do, I do admire... Uh, Matt Smith's delivery um, but it, to me it's the same, same thing I had with uh, Christopher Eccleston the ninth doctor you know he would be absolutely fabulous when he'd say you know you humans you apes and he'd do all these fantastic things uh, and then he'd his ears would stick out and he'd, he'd gurn his face and he'd do a mm-hmm. a silly how you know and at a moment and I think no you don't can't do that I much prefer Matt Smith when he's doing old when he's doing gravitas and what have you and by god he can do that um so um yeah and the other thing is I liked about the Clara because I keep going back to Clara was uh, when I mentioned the the captain played by Tamsin Althwaite <clears throat> um she she stamps her authority over that captain and does so believably to me, even though she's, she just she just has that received uh, authority from the doctor. I think I think because she's the doctor's companion, and the doctor, you know, is there, even though he's not there in that particular scene, she can say that to the captain because she knows she's coming from a position of strength, and I think. That makes her a brilliant, brilliant companion in the way she's portrayed by Jenna Louise Coleman. And um, I, I, I mean, I know people have had their fate. People have um, loved Rose. People have loved Amy. People have loved Donna. Well, it's my turn. I love Clara. I think she's marvellous as the companion. Yeah, well, she's very much always uh, been like a take control person you know she seems to be um you know even when we first see her you know, even going back to the snowman is that personality where she just kind of uh takes control and, and 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 without hesitation it's not out of character seeing her in this story you know like i said leading the pack and taking taking charge and all that so um and i think she did a great job with it as well Oh, the, the, the acting's pretty good. I mean, we, we mentioned Warwick Davis, we mentioned her. Nicholas Briggs is doing a fine job yet again in this. Um, yeah, he does the voice of the Cybermen. 
Indeed. As I say, for the most part, the CGI was great. It was just a couple of ones that did a lot a bit funny. We had a, a couple of... Um, as I said, I, I'm not too sure that they finally decided which way to take the Cybermen. Too robotic, uh, to my mind, in some ways. But um, yeah. then we're getting to this point where the young girl suddenly um, played by um, Eve... Leon Allen, I think, playing Angie, uh, where she's the one that, uh, when they don't know what to do because the captain's supposed to have, they've got this bomb, they know they can resolve the situation by letting off this bomb. Oh, and by the way, that harks back to the very early bit where we have the person who was doing our porridge when he's walking along with Clara and points out this hole in the sky and he says, I feel terrible sometimes, I feel evil because I can't feel sympathy for, you know, a thousand million people. I feel sorry for the person who pressed the button. Mm -hmm. And, of course, once we realise that he indeed is the emperor, uh, and that is pointed out by this young girl, yes. we realise that <laughs> the person who's feeling sorry for himself is himself. And that's why he'd, he'd gone AWOL, as it were. Um, and I think Porridge is a better name than Cheerios anyway, Ian. But um, the point is that she's the one that... She's the one that was given the coin uh, by Webley, so she's had a chance to examine the coin. We saw the statue of the emperor, but of course that was a, a you know a, a, an eight foot tall statue. But there was a sort of passing uh, resemblance to uh, uh, the Warwick. Uh, uh, yeah, they just, the, the statue was and, uh, uh, taller, and that's what threw a, you know. a younger, yeah, the younger looking yeah. emperor as well. But, I mean, I'm sure in the Roman, uh, the days of the Roman Empire, you know, if it was uh, Augustus Caesar, whichever one, even if he was 45, 50 or whatever age he came to an end, the statue would show him as a 28-year-old, vigorous, you know, powerful leader. Sure. And mm -hmm. that's, that's happened through every empire going. We'll shortly hear the fact that um, he, he then admits to his identity and um, hopefully there will be rescues at hand. Uh, just before that, there'd been this scene with um, Clara and the officers and that being pursued by the Cybermen. But in that middle of that battle of minds and wills, uh, two things happened. The, um, the cyber planner uh, draws his concentration, because obviously he's controlling all these Cybermen at the same time as trying to win the battle of minds with the Doctor. So that's when he releases all the Cybermen. And so just as they're about to kill Clara and the crew, all the Cybermen freeze up. A and then, of course, it's the Doctor that then says, well, I'm going to use, you know, not cheat, I'm going to use things. And um, w we've already referenced and seen this, um, we he has this gold leaf on his thing which takes us all the way back to um can we mention adric or anybody else or whatever's happened with uh, you know when they're told that you you put your rubber gold coin into their breathing apparatus gold has always been the uh, the nemesis hasn't it of the cybermen yeah yeah i mean that's that goes back to uh, what, revenge of the cybermen or um you know the 1975 so Goes back. Does it go back to the tenth planet? I don't know if Maybe, it goes that. I don't know. That. It might. I know. But I, I know right. definitely, it definitely was in that. So, um, well, I'll I'll play one more clip and then we'll do our um, overall take on that on the story. 
Brilliant. Move three. Amplify pulsar. <laughs> See ya. Just taking advantage of the local resources. Ah, hello. Could somebody untie me, please? Do you think I'm pretty? No, you're too short and bossy and your nose is all funny. Good enough. What happened to the cyber planner? Out of my head and redistributed across three million cybermen right now and about to wake them all up, kill us and start constructing a spaceship. We need to destroy this planet before they can get off it. Okay. It has a fallback voice activation. The captain, but she's dead. I think you should ask Porridge. Why? Well, he is the Emperor. I bet he knows the activation codes. Oh, come on. It's obvious. He looks exactly like he does on the coin and on the waxwork, except they made him a bit taller. But look, am I the only one paying attention to anything around here? You are full of surprises. Porridge! She's right. So you can save us. We all die in the end. Does it matter how? What do we do? I don't want to be Emperor. If I activate that bomb, it's all over. And if you don't, three million Cybermen will spread across the galaxy. Isn't that worth dying for? Doctor... Three million Cybermen. The bomb, the throne, it's all connected. I just have to say, this is Emperor Ludens Nimrod Kedrick called Longstaff the 41st. Defender of humanity, Imperator of known space. Activate the Desolator. Yeah, there's another thing coming back. I mean, in the Rings of Akatan, they had to destroy that uh, persona so it didn't go leave the planet and go off and uh, and cause havoc somewhere else. I mean, that's not the end of the story, but uh, I think obviously you can only limit your little clips. But I mean, uh, there's um, a scene fairly shortly after that where um, we they all get transported back to the Emperor's ship because, of course, as soon as his voice activates, that sends off a signal that the Emperor's been found and the ship will then uh, uh, transmat him, I think. I think he used the word transmat, uh, to the ship and they're all transported there. And then, not unsurprisingly, uh, Porridge finds that uh, Clara's rather attractive and might make his time <laughs> as Emperor a little bit more bearable. And uh, he suggests that they get married. The young girl can't believe, you know, let's face it, you know, Grace Kelly, an actress, got the chance to be uh, a queen. Sure. Uh, surely every, everybody would say yes, but uh, one of the things we know about the Clara character, she's very well-based. What would she want to do with controlling a thousand empires? You know, she's got... Uh, things to do and things to be and just bossing it over people. She'd rather boss it over one man, the doctor, than all those things. So um, there, there was a rather nice uh, scene at the end. Um, uh, again, we seem to be in one of the uh, the uh, Welsh assembly rooms yet again, but nonetheless, it was uh, it was okay. Um, uh, and also, I noticed when, if you remember, when they're, when they're actually watching on the, like a wall screen, mm -hmm. you actually see the the explosion going off. Reminded me a bit of like um, the Ninth Doctor story where they're all watching the Earth. You know, the the, yes, the they're watching the, the end, end of the, of the Earth. world, end of the world one. Yeah. So there's a there's a few things like that. You know, we see the Cybermen. Uh, we we see this planet, which is um, 
uh, I don't know what was the name of the planet Cyber or they they referred to, the Cybermen referred it to as Cyberner Cyber something. Um, but in, in the end, it's destroyed along with all the Cybermen there. Though there's a very scene, um, a very glimpse at the very end of the story that we see something flashing in space. You know where it leads us to believe that there's still some cyber. Uh, technology out there that is waiting to uh, yeah. start another, um, you know, race of Cybermen, I guess. So, you know, we haven't seen the very last of, of these Cybermen, you know. Um, it's just a matter of time before they start building their forces again. But, uh, you know, if, as far as the story goes, all the elements are there. Um, I seem to remember liking it more originally than I did now when revisiting it, but it's it, it seems um, it's not that I disliked what's here. It just seems like there was something missing that I felt that we didn't really get to know the, the you know, these two kids that well, Angie and Artie. So when they are taken over, I didn't really feel anything. I didn't it, it didn't really um, emotionally, you know, I didn't feel the threat or I didn't really care, you know, if they were turned into Cybermen or not. It just we, we didn't get to know them well enough to really care that much about them. I felt because uh, we basically they just came along came aboard the TARDIS right, you know, with this story. The like I said, the Doctor was kind of preoccupied fighting this mental battle, which. Even though Matt Smith did a great job with it, but it just got a little tiresome, I felt, towards the end. It just felt, um, you know, it just it seemed a little bit prolonged and maybe that could have been abbreviated a little bit further. And uh, I don't know. Uh, it just it, at the end of the story, I just felt a little bit more hungry and I didn't feel fully satisfied. So, um, I mean, for that reason, I'm giving it maybe three out of five TARDIS groans. I... I I would like to give it more, maybe with future watchings I, I would, but I'm, that's really where I'm at with this. And uh, I, I still, I, I felt if the Cybermen also had some sort of clear direction, what their intentions were, where they were going, and um, it, it just seems like, I don't know, I, 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 I'm, I'm still not completely happy where with the Cybermen yet, you know, since the series has come back. I mean, I, I like these Cybermen better than, than Pete's World Cybermen, but still they, like Dave, you were saying, uh, doesn't it seem like they were more robotic and, uh, you know, and this whole thing with the heads and the, the, the turning, it, it seems like what, what part of them are still left that are human flesh? Is it just the brains now? And even that I'm not even sure about. So uh, I don't know. So that's where I'm at with this. It's it was entertaining. It's 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 good, but it wasn't as good as it, I think it could have been or should have been. Yeah. Um, I, I, for the record, I I think I can speak for Ian in as much as um, he was disappointed simply because uh, of the name Neil Gaiman. He was expecting more from it and. Uh, I think it, the disappointment was for that. And I think he also said issues, especially when I said about the Cybermen and they show this mat shot of them, uh, you know, in, in sort of tremendous army. Now, of course, you can't compare TV CGI with the uh, movies. I mean, when you've got a budget like Lord of the Rings, I mean, you can have a, you know, a scene of Helm's Deep and every character seems to have its own AI controlling it. So 
you know, all the arm movements are not at the same time. This you can have ripples going through the army, but the the basic it seems as though they're all individually. Even even if you remember, and I think I'm correct in this. I'm not often correct, but I think I am. Uh, when we go back to the you know when we had the adipoise in, um, they, they'd got some of the people that worked on uh, Lord of the Rings. So when you had all these little adipoise walking down the street. They, they were all slightly doing different things and pulling different faces and this, that, and the other. Now you can you can get away with that a little bit in a robotic army, but these these are Cybermen, and I think they made them a little bit too ro robotic. I think they've almost made them, and I think this was a, a, a definite thing because of this clash they'd had with the with the Daleks in a previous story. It almost meant uh, the fans of the Cybermen were feeling a little bit. Uh, not done well by, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And I think um, Neil Gaiman's intended thing was to make them scary again. And I think they made them scary, but seemed to move them in a couple of directions. Warwick Davis was probably the, the best thing in there other than Clara. Uh, Matt Smith did the sterling job in a way. I wasn't totally convinced by his... I think it's always difficult to do the two voices. I mean... Uh, uh, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I know when you um, you listen to um, audio adventures. Uh, who, uh, who was it? I was listening to. Who, um, uh, I can't think now, but um, but it was one of the where they said, "Well, do you do one voice and then record the other voice?" I'm trying to think who it was. Was it our very own Jamie McCrimmon? Where he's, he's sort of doing the sect doctor's voice and doing Jamie's voice, and you know, do do you record all the ones in one accent and then the others in the other, or do you try and do it live and switch between the two? And um, I think he was doing it that way. Mm -hmm. um, Fraser Hines, I think he was doing it that way because he he can do Patrick so well. Matt Smith seemed to be doing an admirable job, but. Um, was it a tour de force? I'm not too sure about that. Um, uh, Jason Watkins, very, very watchable. As I say, if you if you watch him in uh, Being Human, you'll know he can be a really nasty character. Uh, and he does this switcheroo from this sort of timid, is this my lift home? To when he's possessed by the uh, the cyber planner or whatever. So what, what I'm going to say is... I. I I'm going to give it a reasonably good rating, but it is certainly not the best of Series 7. It's definitely in the middle line. Uh, but it, I think I give it a f more favourable rating because it was better than I thought. And that's not because of Neil Gaiman. It was because of what had happened at the end of the last episode. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be... I suppose it's a bit like dinosaurs. I think if you like dinosaurs and the spaceship and the, 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 the humour in that and what have you, well, this isn't so much the humour, this is the, a different tone. But if you're the sort of person that liked dinosaurs and an aeroplane, maybe this was more your sort of dot too, where, it, it, you know, you watch it and go for the ride and you don't get ultra critical. Um, but it did move the story on. Uh, we, Clara gets a bit more of an insight of what the doctor's thinking about her and um, we get a little bit more of the you know the you know this steel within her and um, it was a slightly short episode I've got a feeling was it a, was it 
It's Perhaps it was just 45 under 45 minutes, minutes long. Yeah. It, uh, right, okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I probably talked for longer than that, than the episode itself. So I'll give it a, a very um, solid three out of five, I think, which is a good rating and maybe better than quite a few people gave it. Uh, but it, Neil Gaiman, we were expecting more. The script, I thought, was brilliant. The realisation on screen... I thought was a little bit patchy, but there were some great cameos within it. Well, and and, I think I'll and stop at that. Another thing I thought they could have done more with was take advantage of the fact that they're in this abandoned amusement park, you know, where, you know, maybe they, some of the rides could have been taken apart and used, you know, part, you know, as part of the Cybermen's uh, technology or the, they, they, you know, bumper cars, they could have been riding, you know, it had some fun with it, you know, where, uh, you know, some, some, um, you know, uh, roller coaster carriages, you know, and, and using, um, using them as, uh, vehicles or whatever, you know, just, it, they had, they, it, they have that all laying around there. Maybe if they use that or, or just somehow took more advantage of it. Now, this isn't the first time that, um, the TARDIS crew winds up in an amusement park. They, if you go back to the Dalek, to um, the Dalek story Chase, uh, there's a um, episode of that where uh, the first Doctor and his companions wind up in a like a haunted um, castle type of thing where he meets um, uh, Frankenstein and the Frankenstein monster and I think Dracula and various other uh, creatures and it turns out to be an amusement type of park like a haunted a haunted castle type of thing. So I, I think that there's lots of good yeah. ideas here. I don't know if it was, it's had all been fully explored, you know. And and again, you know, the Cybermen, if if they could have been a little bit um, um, less robotic, less robotic and more defined, you know, as far as what their intentions were and where they're going, and I, I just wish I felt more about them, you know, and. You know, we got a little bit of it with the planner, you know, in in uh, the, the 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 11th Doctor's head and all that. But it still was, you know, it, it was a disembodied psychosomatic type of, you know, split personality battle going on. So, it, I mean, again, it, it's nothing here is terrible. It's just, um, you know, it just felt that it was just a little lacking in certain areas. And um, and I wish that wasn't the case. But not a bad episode, but not a great episode. Yeah, I think that's fine. Uh, I mean, I think it was referred to as Mr. Clever or something at some point. Yes, thing, yes, uh, but, yeah. uh, that, that, that's right. The, um, I guess that persona of the Doctor being taken over by the cyberplane or whatever was Mr. Clever, yes. But, right. So yeah, a, a solid episode. Uh, certainly no, n- not, not. I mean, I, I quite enjoy watching. I mean, we, we've said that. Well, I've said this certainly before, uh, because you know you're so precious and protective of Doctor Who. Uh, you, you know, you, it's like watching a bumming tennis match. I mean, it's like me watching uh, mm-hmm. Wimbledon and wanting the British guy to do well, and they always seem to to have all sorts of problems and your heart's in your mouth half the time you know hoping they don't mess up so when you watch it the second time i'm much much more relaxed and i also uh know where the story's going 
So I, I, I almost enjoy Doctor Who more on the second and third viewing. And I would urge anybody uh, who 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 is a Doctor Who, well, I don't think they need to. I mean, I, I've talked to some people. I mean, they talk to Darth and, and I'll say, well, are you, have you watched that a couple of times to just make sure he says I've watched it 14 times? You know, you think, oh, well, perhaps you are committed then. <laughs> I mean, some people really do. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily the whole thing, but maybe a certain scene. I can't get what's, I'm not sure what's happening in the scene. Well, watch it again. Oh, I've watched it 14 times. I've watched it with, <laughs> with the sound on, the sound off, the surround sound on, the surround sound off, the woofer on, the woofer off. And I still can't make out what he's saying. I mean, there are, I mean, you heard some of those delivery lines that, um, uh, that uh, Paul Matt Smith has to deliver uh, at breakneck speed. And uh, one of the things about audio, we may be old-fashioned and, and what have you, but sometimes you can at least concentrate on the dialogue that yes, much better. Yes, yes. Well, many times I, I said this to you in the past, the, the clips that, and, and I thank you for preparing these audio clips for us, that uh, many times, you know, just hearing the clips alone without the video, you pick up things that you didn't hear the first time around, you know, because maybe you're distracted by what's going on in the video or you're, you're thinking about other things going on that you're seeing and you, you kind of miss things that are being said. And when you just listen to the audio alone, you kind of pick up stuff that you might miss, uh, you know, in the, in the actual episode. Um, Indeed. Another little nugget here. I don't know if it means anything or if we'll, there's any follow up on this, but at the end here, the TARDIS, constructs a new phone for um, the character Angie, the one of the kids. The Cyberman uh, dismantles her phone and I guess uses that technology, whatever. The, the, the Cybermites find her phone yeah. and it's, it says on the screen dismantle or whatever. And, and we're assuming that happens because the, at the end of the episode, the doctor gives her a new phone that, and he explains that the TARDIS made it. So I'm wondering if this TARDIS-made phone is going to somehow show up again in the future you know if if he's gonna get if she's gonna get a phone Whoa. call from the tardis at some point in the future and we'll see her again um who knows well ian won't like that because i mean he already has an issue with you know anybody and his brother phoning him up you know list 10 or whoever it happens to be you know yes we had at one point with doctor who you know you almost had well, well the christmas episode that we had the um um was it the um, the doctor, the widow, and the wardrobe, where you only had to wish for the doctor and he appeared, mm -hmm. fell out well, of the sky? I mean, the, and he went from Church Hill to. Uh, let's um, not go there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can bring him up. Uh, yes. All right. Well, you that's know, a whole new can of cybermats. <laughs> Well, we spoke about uh, Neil Gaiman here, and, and we, uh, you, uh, Dave, you had mentioned the mythical mythological adventures. No, mythological... Um, dimensions. Dimensions of Neil Gaiman, or if that's the title. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Anthony, if I'm messing up the title of the book. <laughs> well, let me, let me do it. They, they, they brought out a few, a few books, but two, two of the books were The Mythological Dimensions of Doctor Who, which was the first one. Then they followed that up with The Mythological Dimensions, dimensions of, of Neil, Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. So... Uh, we want to remind people, though, that he that 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 he's now doing a call out for um, submissions for a new book called Ambassadors of Geekdom. And uh, back in November, he wrote up a, a piece on our site, you know, on the California Embassy Dr. Panchak website 
you can you can still find that if you if you do a search for our ambassadors of geek geekdom. Um, anyway, if if this is um, something that you might in, feel inclined to uh, to be a part of, what he does is he takes a collection of essays, you know, written by fans for fans. And then he um, he takes them, and then uh, you know he's one of the editors along with, with several others, and they compile them into this you know for for this book. So there's a new book that he's um, that they're in the process of um, creating, and it's called Ambassadors of Geekdom. And um, so I, I think he's looking for um, people that uh, that uh, I, I don't know if it's limited to Doctor Who. Can or, I, can the- well, they want to make submissions, yeah. But uh, I mean, maybe you'll find more information if you go to the uh, uh, the comfy chair zine dot blogspot dot co dot uk. Okay. Yes, that's that's uh, the website that he he has for um, w- which is geared around Doctor Who. So basically, it's, it's but yeah. this but this ambassadors of geekdom is a. Um, is a celebration of fandom of Doctor Who. Yeah, submission of topics. This book is not limited to the topics below, but if you have an idea to propose to us, how has 50 years of Doctor Who influenced and inspired the writers, production and actors of the current Matt Smith era? We're seeking essays focused upon aspects of filming, production, costumes, monsters, writing, etc., that have kept the show unique and creative for 50 years. And uh, anything more than that, I think you need to go and read what yes, they put yeah. up there. Well, that, that, that I think sums it up there. And I also, I, I also have to give them kudos for the name Ambassadors of Geekdom, since we had the, the Gallifrey Embassy had a newsletter called Ambassadors of Life, which um, was a uh, twist on ambassador, the, the Doctor Who story, Ambassadors of Death. We, uh, When we did our newsletter, we called it Ambassadors of Life, and we it, it basically was... Um, uh, a fanzine, you know, about Doctor Who that uh, we had, um, I guess, uh, for 15, 20 years that basically once the website became, <clears throat> once the website became interactive, the, the 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 publication of the newsletter ceased. But but up until that point, I think until, if I'm not mistaken, 2005, the, so from 1985, so that's 20 years of, of newsletters of ambassadors of ambassadors of life so uh this is uh, ambassadors of geekdom so um i don't know if, if that's a deliberate nod there to, or he's just was inspired by the same um um terminology that we used but it's a great huh. yeah so um hopefully they will uh, get people uh, submitting that and uh I mean, we I've interviewed them about three times on different things that they've done, and uh, it's uh, it, it's both um, coming from people with a literary background, but yet it's accessible, accessible, and uh, highly readable stuff that they they produce. Yeah, so definitely check it out. Go to their website and um, and, and find out more about it. And I don't know if he ha- does he have um, a deadline. Gosh, I think I might have just closed out that oh. link, but um, um, hold on. I think final I think essays to... will be due on July first, twenty fourteen. So, um, so yeah, so you, that, that's when it's due. But I, I think you you should be able to um, 
uh, at least um, submit that you're interested in and and that you you know so that they know you're working on something. Yeah, and uh, the Cotton Collective review uh, interviewed them on their mythological dimensions of Neil Gaiman book. Uh, we uh, that was in June 2012, and prior to that, we we interviewed them on their other book and their friendly horror and other weird tales uh, fictional book they did. So there you are, guys. You 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 always all uh, and mention. Please mention Podshot on your uh, your blog site now, guys. Oh, I think well, we're doing you proud. Anthony's been on our show so many times, so you know he's. Um He's a good friend of the show, and we, you know, whatever we can do to help him out, you know, we're there for him. You know, and the same thing goes with, uh, you know, the other editors of the book as well, which is Jessica Burke and, um, um, well, I, I'm not sure. Christine about, Larson. Christine Larson. I'm not sure if, if all of them are on board with this particular book that they're working on, Ambassadors of Geekdom, but, you know, we're, um, we like to call ourselves one big happy family. We would like you to be part of our family, and you can do that by sending us your feedback. You can tell us what you thought about this episode or any episode of Doctor Who or anything concerning Doctor Who. Feel free to record an audio segment, uh, which uh, works best since this is an audio podcast. And you could do that via, via your smartphone or your computer and record it and send it to um, our email address, which is uh, feedback at net. Or you can also uh, use the public call box, the Doctor Who Pachak public call box, which is a voicemail system, and you can just simply call 206-337-4699 to, uh, to access that. And sometimes the number changes, so it might be best to always go to our website, uh, pachak.net, and click on the feedback tab on the top there. We'll give you um, how to send feedback. But you can call that number it's a it, we don't charge you anything for that number but just be aware that it's a 206 area code in the US so um, if that you know you, local carrier rates if any might apply and just uh, leave a message there keep it short um, two three minutes include a name if you can uh, and we'll be happy you know uh, to include it on the show if you're still longing for more of us or at least some more of Dave, you can catch him on the Cultum Collective, usually with Ian as well, on every Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time in the U.S. Uh, Eastern Standard. Well, um, it's be it whenever you're listening to it, it could be daylight time. So um, Eastern Time in the U.S. 2 p.m. on TalkShoe, TalkShoe.com. And uh, it's not just limited to Doctor Who. They cover all aspects of cultum you know all uh cult activities so but i don't want to say what's what you will you be talking about this sunday because by the time this goes out it'll probably be past tense but we may well have done the episode but it will be there on the feed to listen to that's true yeah this yeah we're we're, we're actually going to cover sherlock series three that's uh it aired in the uk yes uh, and recently, it's been but it's uh, been in the u.s as well now the states yeah no they, they completed yeah. its run in the u.s now so uh I've seen all three, uh, all three series and all three episodes per series. So, and the the caller, the the talk show ID number for that is five four eight two one. There you go. So you know maybe it's time for us to do a, another live show. You know that's that's another possibility. It doesn't have to be a you know we usually do for for review shows, but we could do something else exploring different topics of Doctor Who and. Um, maybe we'll do a. I'll do a call out right now to our listeners. Uh, what would you like to talk about if we do a live show? 
that's not a review show of an episode, but um, a, a topic of Doctor Who that we'd like to talk about uh, together. You know, you, Dave, myself, anyone else that cares to uh, to join in on a, on a live call. Good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, until next time, then. Uh, cheers, everyone, and thank you, Dave, once again. It's been a splendid evening, and I know it's late for you, so uh, I appreciate you are you know sticking out. <laughs> Sticking around and sticking it out with us. Uh, I, I'm half robotic now. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Cyber Dave. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifreyNMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podshock Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. Doctor Who Podshock! I'm not human.